Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. It is that time of week. It is Front Row Knowles time. Keith, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Last week, uh, off week, and now we're back on schedule, uh, subject to COVID testing, of course, which, of course, also is the big news. I I, I remember when uh, Mudra got criticized for coaching from the press box. Uh, I guess I guess we can criticize Norvell for not making the trip, but really we can't criticize him because he's in quarantine. But a little different situation in Miami this week. Everything that's abnormal that happens just goes in that 2020 bucket as classified as 2020. I mean, it, it, but it does sort of feel like Florida State, we are paying the prices for something over the years, for being too good for too long. I mean, it just feels like whatever can go wrong goes wrong, and here we are. I mean, it, because uh, – Florida State on the athletic side has been serious about the protocols and the testing and all of those things. And I think Coach Norvell, frankly, was shocked that this was what the result was of his test. But it is what it is, right? How many times do we say that? (laughs) Uh, A whole bunch in 2020. And, of course, if our listeners have been keeping up with the news, the Notre Dame-Wake Forest game has been postponed because of some COVID positives on the Notre Dame team side. And we've seen in weeks prior uh, games that have been uh, canceled and or rescheduled, and we will see them going forward. And, of course, the SEC is going to pick up play beginning this weekend, so that brings another uh, X number of schools into the fray that you're going to be paying more attention to. And it's just the new norm for 2020. I just hope it's not the new norm going forward afterwards. I agree. So let's talk about how this impacts FSU. And here's my short answer. I actually don't think from a work week standpoint that it's really going to be that significant a change because Coach Norvell can see practice. He's in the meetings with Zoom. We've spent six months learning how to use Zoom, two or three of those months. This is the only way they communicated. I don't see that part being that different. Now, game day, I think that's different because now he's not involved. Now you're asking coaches who haven't even worked together but for one game to change some of their responsibilities a little bit, i.e. who's making decisions, who's talking to the tight ends, who's making calls. 
So that, that part will be a little bit different, but your thoughts. Uh, agree. Uh, I'm interested. I know uh, officially it's been said that Coach Norvell will not participate in the game on Saturday, but we all know how, how these coaches are, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but I'm just wondering if there'll be text messages, FaceTime, something going on with somebody. I know technically you're not supposed to have cell phones on the sideline. That's still a rule, isn't it? I, I think it is. But it'll just be curious to me if they don't find some way for at least at halftime or in between quarters or whatever for there be some communication to take place. Um, and I also wondered, Tommy, I didn't hear this talked about, but I was wondering, you know, why, why can't Norvell be down there if he's just isolated, you know, in an empty box somewhere and, and put him on the headset? The headsets are wireless. You know, he'd have to travel down there individually somehow. But I'm just curious, uh, did you hear anything about why that's not possible at all? Or is it just too much? I think it's too much. And it's, I don't know that they specified the protocol that much, but in this era of let's err on the side of caution related to COVID, let's just leave it there. But to your first question, I'm going to plead ignorance. I did not take the time to look up the rules on what you can do remotely. I don't think that you're allowed to have a coach who's watching a TV feed and picks something up and sends in this info. Uh, But if there is something permissible that allows for it, I would agree that there would be some correspondence. I'm just not sure if it's permissible. I also would point out that when you watch a TV feed, whether you have a streaming service, satellite service, Xfinity, by the time you see it, it's 30 seconds after real time. So you couldn't be watching the TV feed and somehow be communicating and get a play call in. That play is already that, – that ship has sailed by the time you're seeing that in your home unless they're going to somehow get a clean feed directly to his computer that's simultaneous with real time. Well, that's why I brought up FaceTime. We may look down there and see somebody on the sideline you know, holding up a phone <laughs> to the field if it's allowed. I don't think it is, but if it were to be allowed. But, uh, yeah, I hear you. There's no question that the delay would come into play. Well – the irony here is really this applies more to baseball in Florida State, or it could apply to baseball in Florida State and Miami have some history with this. And they I'm talking about when Miami was right. stealing signs year, years ago. So, you know, you could, you could put them incognito and sit them in the stands. And if his right arm is up, you got to call a pass. And if his left arm is up, you're calling a run. I mean, or, or he whistles <laughs> twice, it's a run. And once it's a pass or however that was being done. Yeah. Yeah. If there's a whistle, you got to audible. I mean, you could, you could, you could work some conspiracy theories. Now I don't, I don't think we're going to see that level. I know it's, uh, so I interact with Coach Norvell on Mondays this week for his show. It was via Zoom, and we didn't have a lot of idle chit-chat time. But you could tell, and he he said, I mean, he's never missed a game, not just as a coach. He didn't remember missing a game, period, as a player. Pro- who knows? Probably since he started competing. So it's going to be a weird – the length of that game is going to feel like six weeks to him to sit there and have to watch that and not be involved in it. The other thing that I thought of, again, just because of, uh, you know, being married and having children and having grandchildren and having gone through uh, homeschooling and remote schooling and other things associated with it, you know, he's quarantined and his wife and daughter are, you know, somewhere. And my first thought goes to the ignorance of maildom or being male. Who's cooking? How's he getting his meals? Because I can't cook. I, I, you know, I'd be losing weight over those 10 days blah, blah, blah. And you just don't think about the realities of what quarantine really means in this type of situation. My wife would tell me to call Uber Eats and then slowly go to the front door once it's left there. 
No, I'm just kidding, Laura. She'd actually take care of me, but I get your point. So what do you think in terms of how this does affect game day? I mean, Bobby used to call them the what if meetings, I think, right? Or the iffy meetings on Friday nights that they had. So what if it's third and two from the right hash and there's a buck 12 left and we're down six? What do we do? All those kind of contingencies. So coaching staffs have those through the course of their work week. Every coaching staff does it. It feels like you'll have the extended version now to talk through even more scenarios. I don't know if you agree with that or not, just in advance to say, for example, Friday night when they're down there at the hotel, that meeting could extend into what if this player is not playing well? What if this? What if that? And you can make some of those decisions or agree on how you're going to handle it. But no matter how many of those scenarios you go through, there's still going to be one or two or something comes up or Miami has a different look. So you you can't necessarily go with plan A. Maybe it's plan B. I just think that's the part of the equation where this this could hinder Florida State more than the game week preparation. The other part I worry about is, uh, you know, if you're the head coach and you're calling plays, then you have no one to answer to. But if you're Kelly calling plays now, after the fact, you've got you to Kenny, answer. Kenny Dillingham. Kenny, Kenny, I'm sorry, Kenny yeah. Dillingham. You've got to answer. And I always use this illustration. Our listeners that have been involved in business will understand this. You know, an owner of a business is sometimes very reluctant to give check signing authority to an employee, like the comptroller or the bookkeeper or the administrator. But the reality is when an owner gives that authority to an employee, that employee tends to be more conservative than the owner would be. Because the owner's spending his money, the employee is spending the owner's money. I just wonder if Dillingham will err on conservative or will be aggressive and error on the side, that side, that's the part I'm interested in seeing. How much different in terms of, you know, taking shots down the field, how much difference of, you know, running on passing downs and passing on running downs, is Dillingham going to be willing and able to do that? Uh, and how does that play out? That's going to be an interesting and fascinating thing to me. Coaches would never look at it like this, but the reality is Miami's an 11-point favorite as we're talking. Nobody expects FSU to do much. So uh, in that vein, whatever it ends up looking like, you can reset the counter and the head coach and the guy who calls plays is back next week. Now, again, they're not going to look at it that way. No, and and candidly, you can say that about the entire year, 2020. Right. Even when we get past 11 games or 10 games or however many we end up playing. But but your theory, your thought process is spot on. Uh, it, it'll be a discussion, but I don't know how big a deal it'll be to the outside world, to fans, media, the critics, if you will. So here's the thing for me, KJ. And college game day will be there this weekend. I'm sort of glad the SEC is playing, even though college game day is there, because that means that they're going to spend an inordinate amount of time telling us that the U is back. And then they're going to spend an inordinate amount of time telling us what's wrong with Florida State, especially when the head coach has COVID. So hopefully everybody's watching the SEC, right? But this (laughs) this does not feel like an FSU-Miami week to me at all. And some of that is because the way the last few years have gone, I sort of tune out the national conversation. But more of it, I think, is because I really feel like for the last three years or so, and it's cliche, but for Florida State, it's been about we got to control what we can control. Like Florida State needs to fix its own problems. They're not at the level where where their biggest concern every week is what the other team is doing. they got to fix their own house. Does that make sense? Yes, and we need to acknowledge that while Florida State has not played well the last couple of three years, neither has Miami. 
So this rivalry game is because of what's happened in the past, not what is happening now. Now, that doesn't mean it's not a rivalry game amongst the players and the coaches. That's very real, and that'll be the case whether you're undefeated or winless going into this contest. But in terms of the national spotlight, the reason that ABC is down there and the reason that game day is down there is because what happened the last 30 years between Miami and Florida State, not what's going to happen Saturday night uh, on the field. That's a good thing, and that's respectful of the two programs, but I agree with you. It doesn't have this – I mean, there's no sense – and worrying about bulletin board material. Because if Keith Jones, starting offensive guard for Florida State, says that Miami's defensive line is terrible, who's paying attention? <laughs> you know, where's the credibility and where is the, the angst associated with it? Still very important amongst the players, still very important amongst the fan base. But uh, I'll be glad a year three, five from now when – Florida State's ranked number four and Miami's ranked number six when this game takes place, if we ever get back to that. The measuring stick for me has always been about how much you have to lose in the game. And clearly when you're you're where Florida State is right now, you're you're not going to lose a national title based on the outcome of this game. So for me, and part of it's when I arrived at FSU, but wide right one is probably at the top of the list. Now, for you, it might be the 1980 game, although you guys still had a chance to play for the national title that year, in theory, if you beat Oklahoma, I think. Um, Whereas the 2000 game, which FSU lost, Matt Munyon missed a kick, that one doesn't stick out to me because FSU still got a chance to play for the national title that year against Oklahoma. So, yeah, it's a loss to a rival, but in the grand scheme of things, it didn't cost you. It wasn't the pain and the hurt that go with 87 and 88 31 nothing and wide right one and wide right two where you where you truly had championships taken away so what you're saying is we're not ready to put any specific thing on coach Norvell's tombstone like we were in the early 90s when coach Bowden said the only thing he wanted on his tombstone was well at least he played Miami yeah, that's what we're saying. Well, and I hate it for Coach Norvell. It's his first chance in this rivalry, and, and he's got to sit this out. But uh, that, that's where we are right now in, in 2020, going back to where we started this segment. Tell you what – oh, go ahead, weigh in. I was just going to say we need to remember that, you know, one of the things that Coach Bowden did when he got here is said, you got to win the state championship. you got to beat Florida. you got to beat Miami. One of the things that Jimbo did is he beat Florida and he beat Miami. One of the things that Coach Taggart didn't do is beat either one of them. And now you've got Coach Norvell in his first game in something that is extremely important to the Florida and Florida State, excuse me, the state of Florida and the Florida State fan base, and he's not able to participate in it. That's, that's the really um, difficult part to process, no question. You're definitely right. So we will do what we always do this week, FSU Miami. The voice of the Canes, Joe Zagacki, is going to join us a little bit later on, and we'll get the Miami perspective. But first, we'll talk more Florida State. We'll go on the uh, FSU side of the ledger. Our Osceola insider is Patrick Burnham this week. He joins us next when Front Front Row Knowles continues in a moment.
Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ back with you as we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And we welcome Patrick Burnham, our Osceola insider. And Patrick, you're more important than ever this week because I just (laughs) confessed last segment that I didn't take the time to look up how's this communication going to work or not work for Coach Norvell and and what's it going to look like. So fill in some blanks a little bit as you understand it uh, as we're midweek here leading up to this uh, primetime Saturday night game down in South Florida. Well, my understanding is that Mike will not be able to participate in any communications once the game has started. I know that when we spoke to him on Monday at his weekly press conference, he said they were going to explore uh, with the league what he might be able to be involved in from a game day aspect. But the plan was to promote Tony Tokarts, one of their offensive analysts, as the 11th on-field coach. And if they do, in fact, do that, that would mean Mike would not be able to participate, is my understanding of the rule. And that, I, th- I think that's probably what will end up happening. So let me ask you this. I, I phrased it to Keith. I feel like the work week, even though the head coach isn't there, he's able to see and interact with his players – so to me, I don't feel like this week itself getting ready is going to be that different than a normal week, but I do feel like the game day ops are going to be impacted. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, one of the – and the strange reality that is 2020, they have – Mike's been meeting with the staff virtually and with the team virtually since March in some capacity. Now, we still don't know – you know, how many people are in a team room at one time and this, that, and the other. But certainly that makes this less of a novelty. I'm sure his presence and his voice particularly is being missed at practice where he is very actively involved in every period of practice from what we saw in the spring. Uh, so from – and but from being able to game plan, he's going to be heavily involved in that because he's going to have access to the practice tape. And I am sure he's on speakerphone as they're going through uh, – watching the tape together I would even think with the offense and special teams for sure so yeah I think that uh, the way we've had to go about our business here as a society since March has probably made this less of a novelty but he is certainly going to put his stamp on this game. Pat I think I read somewhere maybe I dreamt it but I think I read somewhere that that Norvell as we've talked about is able to watch practice live they have rigged up a few cameras where he can watch them from his desktop at his house but I thought I read somewhere that there was a speaker hood hooked up where he could actually talk to – maybe he didn't know who he was talking to, but he could talk over a loudspeaker during practice. Did you hear anything about that? Yes, my understanding is that they are giving him as a, a as, as close to a live feed as they can give him uh, to practice, which I'm sure somebody's uh, – got a, their phone or a camera that's is tied into Zoom somehow. And then, of course, they've actually got it set up to where uh, they've either got a phone that's got a speaker attached to it where he is able to communicate with players and coaches in close to real time as possible. I'm sure there's a delay. Uh, but, yes, he is communicating with his team as they practice. He is communicating with his coaches as they practice, and he is going through as live a practice opportunity virtually as he can. Welcome welcome to 2020 version 6.2. Well, Boy, fellas, every, 
every time I see, I, th- I think I've seen everything, something else happens in 2020, man. I'm telling you what, it's been one heck of a year. Fellas, all he's doing is he's using an Amazon Alexa. Alexa, drop in on James Blackman and tell him to watch his steps and keep his eyes open. You know, that's all he has to do. If you've got an Alexa at the house, that's how it works, right? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking well, mine, of, doesn't, mine doesn't listen to me very well. So. <laughs> Speaking of uh, James Blackman, Pat, uh, it came out this week that all four quarterbacks are getting reps at practice. So I guess we know that they're all back and that they're all available. How do you think this will play out? Is it just going to be Blackman? Are we going to see a mix? What, what do you expect? Well, you know, obviously I think we, we might see something similar to what we saw against Georgia Tech. You know, James is listed as the starter on the two deep, and uh, Jordan Travis is listed as a co-backup with Tate Rodemaker. Uh, you know, if the plan was not to start or play uh, either of the two friends, we don't really – we don't know about Chubba. Is he just getting – his sea legs back at practice and, you know, how ready is he for contact? You know, is that, is that collarbone ready for Jonathan Ford to uh, pounce on it? Uh, 300 pound offensive lineman. We don't know how healthy Chubb is. Uh, is he just integrating back into practice or is it full go? But I would think uh, particularly with Mike not being there, if James and Jordan are, are uh, healthy, I think they would be the two guys that played uh, unless they had a plan coming out of the Georgia tech game to play Tate or Chubba if they were healthy. How, I guess we're all guessing here, but how short might that leash be with Blackman? I mean, how much more time do you give him before you, you make a decision to go in another direction? Any, any thoughts on that? Well, you know, listen, he is by far the most experienced quarterback on that roster. And obviously, based on what we've seen from he and Jordan Travis, the most uh, effective of the two throwing the ball. Uh, you know, listen, he wasn't the only guy that struggled last Saturday against Georgia Tech. Uh, you know, there's there certainly a lot of blame to go around as far as how that game played out. Uh, you know, I don't – you know, I would have apprehension – uh, again, unless the plan coming out of Georgia Tech was to play Tate, I would have some apprehension about putting Tate Rodemaker in the game or Chubba Purdy in the game without your primary play caller and head coach uh, on site. Now, uh, I'm sure he has a tremendous amount of confidence in Kenny Dillingham and Chris Thompson, which he should. Uh, but, you know, listen, I've, I've, got my, I've got my questions as to – how that will play out uh, given the extraordinary set of circumstances they are traveling to Miami under. Who's going to be the one to interact with Blackman or whoever the quarterback is on the sideline? And I asked that thinking about, you know, Jimbo was the quarterback guy. Uh, Kendall Bryles was on the field last year and would talk with the quarterbacks. Now you've got Dillingham upstairs, right? So who does, yep. is, is it Chris Thompson then? Is there somebody Ooh. else that would, would play that role in between series when the offense is on the sideline? Well, I think it'll be a combination of uh, Coach Thompson and Kenny. I mean, obviously, you know, we I can remember us talking about this in January. You guys asked me who I thought uh, one of the – who I was impressed with the hiring of. And I said when he hired Chris Thompson, a guy that has seven years of head coaching experience and has been at TCU and Arizona State and Texas Tech and coached in some big games, I thought that was one of the most important hires because he would he's one of the most – besides Odell, he's the most veteran coach on the staff. And I thought it, that would be a, 
an ally to Mike and help him as they try to reestablish this program. And, um, you know, obviously did not know this was before COVID, did not know it would take on this big a role. Uh, but certainly uh, having Coach Thompson's experience and uh, in big games and, you know, his – familiarity with Mike having coached him in college and been with him at Arizona State, I think that's certainly going to be reassuring to Mike. And uh, I think that his experience will uh, help both Kenny and the quarterbacks out. Pat, you, you expressed uh, some of your thoughts in your column in the Osceola, a very well-written piece, specifically about your take on where Miami is two games into this 2020 season. You know, who, who, who are the Hurricanes this year? Well, I think the Hurricanes are just like most college football teams, not named Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State. They're trying to find out who they are. You know, we 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 have a tendency in the world of social media to crown people either champions or losers very quickly. And it sounds like to me that Miami – uh, is getting a lot of positive publicity because they secured De'Eric King and the, the transfer portal over the offseason. And he has helped their team, there's no doubt. But this is a team that is still struggling to run the football. Uh, they have made a living on big plays, but they've also given up a ton of big plays. Uh, you know, offensively, Saturday night, uh, other than the 75-yard run that went for a touchdown, which you have to count, but it was a clear blown assignment by Louisville's defense where the defensive end folds inside and nobody replaces on the edge. Um, you know, they ran for they ran the ball 29 other times for just 85 yards. So outside of that that big play, which still counts, they only averaged 2.89 uh, 2.89 yards per carry on their t- other 29 attempts uh so the offensive line is still struggling to run when it wants to at miami you know they're not imposing their will on people and florida state's uh you know florida state's defensive line certainly needs to show up and then you look at miami's defense is one of the best defenses in the nation last year and they give up uh, 300 yards in passing to Louisville, uh, over 200 yards rushing to louisville so 516 for the day uh they gave up uh, uh they make big plays on defense. They have 10 tackles for losses against Louisville, 18 for the year. But they've also allowed 36 yards of 10 plays or more on defense this year, which ranks 47th out of 52 teams that have played. And their schedule consists of UAB or Louisville. So, you know, I am not sure. that I still think they are uh, more pretender than they are a contender. Um, Derek King, as we're, you know, college football is a head coaches and quarterbacks game, and they have one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. Now, he has helped them because of his versatility in their pass protection, where they've only given up three sacks in two games, whereas last year they were giving up almost four sacks a game. But four of the five offensive linemen from last year's team are returning. Uh, and uh, now th- only three of them start. So, you know, listen, uh, I think it's way too early to, uh, put them in the middle of the ACC race, but certainly an impressive uh, game against Louisville that, you know, there were some, there were, they showed some signs that you can get to them on both offense and defense. Pat, uh, as a follow-up, Florida State's offensive line had some, uh, some injuries, particularly in the second half, but there was a, a graphic, some material put together by our friend David Hale that illustrated and talked about statistically what Florida State's offense was able to do when those starting five were in the ball game together and and the 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 mathematical statistical finding was pretty good 
if they can stay healthy, this might be an offensive line for Florida State that can generate some running attack and protection for the quarterback. Well, I think so. Yeah, I certainly think that we saw some improvement. Was it as much improvement as they need to have? No, but that starting five, uh, I thought played well, particularly in pass protection. Uh, they only gave up one of the three sacks. And, of course, unfortunately, two of the sacks were huge in the game, but that came with a backup in the game. And those guys got to be able to step up. But, you know, Mark Salva is one of our Osceola football analysts who played offensive line at Florida State. And, you know, we both – our both both our takeaways were different but similar. We both saw improvement from what we saw last year. And I think as a whole, you will see uh, improvement on the offensive line play from game one to game two, uh, and particularly in the run game where they, they did average over three yards per carry. Uh, so we did, we did see some slight improvement, I thought, and some of that is play calling on Mike's part. And some of it is you got – uh, three young kids who could be the cornerstone of that offensive line uh, in Darius Washington, Deontay Lucas, and Maurice Smith, who are just going to get better, particularly uh, D- Darius and Maurice, who are basically this is the first year they've been official starters. They got some starts last year due to some injuries and that sort of thing, but we're both able to redshirt. But I think that you see some foundational pieces that could be uh, very productive for FSU long-term on the offensive line. We're talking with Patrick Burnham, our Osceola insider. I encourage you to go to the Osceola.com. Subscribe if you don't already. Just six ninety five a month to get insight like this. Patrick, I didn't I didn't give you a heads up on this one, so it's okay to say you don't have the the due diligence on it. But uh, so you know, I've heard a little bit of conversation about the fact that those first two drives against Georgia Tech, those you know that was scripted ahead of time. How many plays does Norvell script? And and then I just I kind of want you to expound upon it because it, the way it gets posed to me sometimes as if, well, you know, the first two drives worked and that was script. You could just script go all script, right? Yeah. Why not script yeah. 70 plays? And and that fails to account for the fact that the other team changes its coverage and defense based on what they see you doing. So do you have a general thought on where the sweet spot is or or, or what coaches are doing across college football in terms of how many are scripting X amount of plays? Well, listen, I, you know, my understanding is they did script the first two series, but, you know, and uh, you, I, Keith may agree or not agree with this, but I think even off a script, it is a loose script, right? Uh, you're not most gonna, of the time, yes. Yeah, you're you're gonna adjust even within that script. You have a a very narrow. You have a very good baseline of what you want to do, but they're not gonna sit there and run. They're not gonna run a play just for the sake of running the play. If that defense comes out with something that they weren't expecting, they're gonna check something. So yes, I think. I think there's something to be said for the script. And all right, so we're going to line up in this formation to see what coverage we get. And if we don't get it, we'll have to make an adjustment. Uh, you know, so that, that was based off tendency studies from last season. And they were going to come out in certain things to see how Georgia Tech played it. And then if they got what they wanted, they were going to run it. And if they didn't get what they want, they're probably going to check to it. So, yes, I do think there's something to be said for scripting. But, listen, we live in a day and age where uh, they are making adjustments play after play, series after series. And uh, I think they probably went with something close to the script. But I don't think they said, all right, these are the 15 plays we're going to run no matter what. But, anyway, yes, I do think there was some scripting going on. Pat, one of the things that jumped out at me as a positive, and and it really honed in after I went back and looked at the drive charts, but there were very few three and outs for this Florida State offense against Georgia Tech. I mean, they were six and eight 
and 10 play drives. They didn't score. They shot no. themselves in the foot at the tail end of it. But they were able to string some plays together. They were able to move the chains a little bit. Yeah, and it was weird. It was like a 10-play, 35-yard drive. I mean, you know, things that we did not – you know, things that we wanted to see last year that we didn't. And, uh, you know, conversely, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, I don't think Georgia Tech had a three-and-out the entire ball game, and that was a team that went three-and-out 40% of the time last season. So, anyway, uh, yes, but, yeah, what, what, what we wanted to see was improvement. We knew it wasn't going to come overnight, and it's little things like that, Keith, that this team can build off of and the coaches can sell because they certainly saw the film from last year and know what they, you know, what they were inheriting. So, but yes, I th- listen, this is, uh, it's not, a, I don't think it's a total rebuild, but it's certainly a retooling and this was not going to happen overnight. And it's things like that that this staff can build off of. Hey, Pat, as we wrap up, let's go back to Derek King a little bit. I mean, you've pointed out, and we know Miami's offensive line hasn't been great. Uh, then again, Georgia Tech's hasn't been great either, and they did a nice job against FSU's defensive front. So how do you, how do you defend De'Ara King in this Miami offense? I mean, what do you expect to see from Florida State? More aggression? Are they playing zone because they're worried about him running? How, how are they handling this? Well, I, you know, listen, I think you've got to mix it up. I mean, you can't, you can't just sit back and let him pick you apart. But do I – you know, I, I think that you've got to be careful how much man coverage you play where you got – uh, corners and linebackers turning their back to Derek King, and all of a sudden he's got a hole. Uh, so I would expect to see more zone blitz packages than I would man coverage, whether it's straight up man or man blitz concepts. But uh, certainly you're going to see some man uh, to bring more people. But I, you know, listen, he's a guy that uh, has 15 yard, over 1500 yards rushing in his career, <laughs> and he's a he's an extremely good athlete. I did not know this, and you guys might have known it too. Uh, his first two years at uh, Houston, he caught 59 passes for 504 yards. So, I mean, this is a guy that you could be used in a lot of ways, uh, but certainly as quarterback, uh, you know, because they can use him in the run game and because he's so elusive, I just think you got to be. Care- I think you got to bring pressure, and you got to you got to get you got to get to the quarterback. We learned that against Georgia Tech, uh, but I think it'll be more zone blitz concepts than it would be man blitz concepts. Pat, one last question. We'll let you go. What's your favorite FSU-Miami game? Oh, gosh, Uh, so many. Uh, You know, uh, 92 was special uh, at home. You mean Um, 93, 93. uh, 92 was not at home? 92 was wide right, too. Okay, then it must have been 93 where the whole Dexter Carter, Bernard Clark thing went down. It was a night game. That's one of my favorites. Richie Andrews told me today it was 92. So, uh, anyway, but uh, probably – Can't trust uh, those kickers. No, you cannot. You cannot. But that that was uh, that was probably one of – that was probably my – you know, I've got – there was a loss that was uh, – that stood out to me just as uh, not as one of my favorite, but it's still very vivid in my mind, but certainly that 93 game where we beat them 27 to 10. Uh, and I believe that was, a, it may, it may not have been 92, but the Dexter Carter, uh, Bernard Clark, when you put the flag and we just, we really yeah, that got was, after him that day. That was 89. That was 89. Okay. 89. Okay, yeah, 89. Yeah. And that, that's probably my favorite. I, I, I still, uh, I was young and, uh, you know, so at that time, I still considered myself a coach's kid. I think I was a freshman in college at the time, and I came back to watch that game from Sanford. And uh, I just – it was such a great – it was a beautiful fall night in Tallahassee, and it, everything fell just right for the Seminoles. 
Appreciate it, Patrick. Keith, by the way, neither Pat nor I are old enough to to pick one of your games. Sorry. <laughs> I got nothing, Tommy. Pat, I got nothing. Y'all just, well, y'all just go along. <laughs> I, well, I'll tell you what. I'm not. Our next guest. I'm not going to ask Joe Zagaki what his favorite memory of FSU Miami is, just for the sake of our listeners. Joe's up next. We'll continue with Front Row Knowles after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Always look forward to this conversation because it means it's FSU Miami Week. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you and uh, pleased to welcome back the the voice of the Canes, Joe Zagacki. We catch up every time this year. Sometimes it's later in October, maybe November, but but here we are. Hey, Joe, how are you first and foremost? Hope you're healthy and that things are doing well or going well down in South Florida. Yeah, all is good right now. Tom and Jonesy, everything's great. We got college football. We got Miami and Florida State. I'm crossing my fingers. We get to the game as always, uh, but uh, it's been great. First two weeks have been a lot of fun to have college football back. And uh, this is a year where, I don't think I even care about the result. All I care about is that they're playing college football games. Well, it's – yeah, I mean, Keith and I spent six months doing this. We all did. And the whole conversation was about if, when. And so the fact we're actually talking about football, we'll take that as a win. I, I should know this, Joe, and pardon me for not looking it up. How many years is this as Voice of the Canes for you? Uh, number 19 is the voice and 30, 32 on the broadcast. That was so going to be my – I probably did one of the games that Jonesy was in. I, no, I was you're not say, that old, brother. You're not that old. <laughs> that that was my that was where I was going, though. I mean, you probably haven't missed an FSU Miami game in some time, have you? I mean, you got to go back about all through this uh, series. Yeah, I go all the way back, even when I was a kid. I was uh, talking to somebody last night about uh, going all the way back to the early '70s when Miami and Florida State weren't very good, and even then, the games were always close. I remember Florida State all the way back in the early 70s, came into, into the Orange Bowl. I think Florida State was when they had like a 27-game losing streak. And they beat Miami 21-14. to Jeff Leggett, who was from my old neighborhood, went to Northern High School, scored the game-winning touchdown. And that was one of the first games where Florida State cut up the, the turf for the Sod Cemetery. It was AstroTurf at the time of the Orange Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you, to, to this point, or, or, or to your point, uh, and, and we'll get into the game here. And obviously Florida State's been down the last few years. And, you know, we're in the middle of a rebuild right now. So on our end, it doesn't necessarily feel the same as an FSU Miami week would normally feel. And for me personally, it has to do with what's at stake. You know, I mean, there's so many years Miami ripped Florida State's heart out and Florida State has returned the favor at other times. Does it feel that way to you or is it still you see the garnet and gold and to you it's, it's FSU Miami week and it's on? Well, I probably have to talk myself into it just a little bit. And I don't think it has anything to do, Tom, with the fact that uh, Florida State's rebuilding and, and Miami, uh, I don't know if Miami's further ahead than Florida State right now. I think the programs are always the same, to be honest with you. And when they play, uh, when they play the games so close, I guess they saw the stat today, since 2016 times, the game has been decided by one score. So the games are always close. I think the only thing that, doesn't feel like Miami and Florida State is the fact that we're not going to have 65,000 fans 
at the game. We're at 13,000. And so it's a little bit eerie going to the stadium, pulling up, uh, you know, our UAB game. You just drive up and walk into the stadium. There's no interaction. There's no band and stuff like that. So I think it has more to do with the atmosphere than the actual matchup. But I do think when the teams get out there, I think they're going to play really hard. I think they're going to give us a great game. Joe, uh, macro look at Miami. You're, you're, you're into now the Manny Diaz, Diaz regime. You're coming out of the Mark Rick a couple of three years ago. Mark was going to be the, the savior, the, the guy from South Florida that had FSU and Miami ties. Whatever reason, it didn't work out. Where, where is the program now? What does Miami mean? Uh, what does Manny mean to this program? You're sitting at 2-0, and oh, but it's early in the year. But in the big picture, what, where is Miami right now? Well, if Coach Rick had this quarterback, uh, he'd probably still be here. Uh, De'Ara King is a program uh, maker. He's a difference maker for the University of Miami. They haven't had this kind of player at quarterback. Uh, the guy that can make the decisions, guy that uh, takes the responsibility probably since Dorsey or, or, or Brock Berlin. In terms of Jonesy, where is the program? Probably about the same spot as Florida State. Both teams were six and seven a year ago. Miami's just off to a better start this year than FSU. Miami's won their first two games. Got a pretty good challenge against uh, Louisville. Uh, Miami does have some transfer players that have helped. The Eric King certainly has helped. Quincy Roche, Jalen Phillips, Bubba Bolden, all those guys have helped. And I think the reason why those guys have made Miami a better program right now, we got a long way to go. One thing that I notice more than anything is, they're older players. There's a greater sense of responsibility. They're more physical. They take the game more serious. Bubba Bolden made 11 tackles in the game the other night against Louisville. He made some big open field tackles. He wrote his coaches a text message the next day. I apologize. I didn't play very well last night. I blew uh, – yeah, I made some t- tackles, but I wasn't dialed in enough on the scheme. I promise you I'll do better. I can't remember the last time we had a player take that kind of responsibility. So I think one of the common denominators between Miami and Florida State has been attrition. They just can't get old enough. And everybody wants to go, oh, remember those great Miami-Florida State games? If you look at those games, the players were big, they were fast, they were mature, they understood what was at stake. We've been playing with a bunch of puppies all the time, and right when they get good, they leave. So I think where the program is right now is kind of digging in a little bit and they're getting some help from veteran players that hopefully these younger guys that come in don't have to play right away and maybe that will help them down the road. But I don't think – Joe, we look at it and, you know, we look at Florida State's flaws. You know, how are we going to do this against Miami? How can we do it? As the Miami guy – same result for Florida State, lost to Georgia Tech opening week. But what concerns you as you get ready and you look at it and say, boy, because I know when you've come on with us, typically you've got about two or three guys and you say, we've got a, it's Dalvin Cook and it's Demarcus Walker. Well, we don't have Dalvin Cook and Demarcus <laughs> Walker now. So, so who are the guys you got circled on your, uh, your spotting charts? Yeah, well, I'm glad you don't have uh, those guys, uh, Dalvin Cook in the backfield. Uh, by the way, Miami did lose to Georgia Tech last year, so it makes you feel any better. Uh, we did lose to Georgia Tech as well. Uh, the guys that I'm looking at are, and it's pretty simple, uh, Tamron Terry, home run hitter. Miami matched up well with him a year ago. Uh, it was funny because Terry's a big guy. Miami put Bandy on him last season, a little guy. But Bandy really gave Terry fits around the line of scrimmage. So I am looking at Terry, and I'm not sure that Miami has 
uh, any one guy that can match up with him. And then it, it, it's hard for me not to, to look at uh, Marvin Wilson in the middle. He is so big and physical. And, uh, again, Miami has Corey Gaynor at center. Marvin Wilson is huge. Now, um, escapes him pretty good at guard. Uh, left guard a little bit unsettled for, for the University of Miami. So I'll probably looking at those two players. I think t- uh, Terry uh, could be the breakaway guy that obviously Florida State needs and a guy that could cause a lot of problems for Miami. I did I, there is a part of me that is looking at Asante Samuel because of his interceptions and the way he jumps routes. So I think it'd be kind of interesting to see how he plays in this game. If Miami can influence him, uh, there's going to be some bang bang plays. It might show up on the scoreboard for one team or the other. Well, hopefully it doesn't revolve and come down to a kick because I think your kid can kick it from about 87 yards out, <laughs> at least based on what I saw Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, we couldn't make a kick last year if our life depended on it. Uh, it was funny. You, know, you call the games and mine is marching down the field and you go, all right, they're at the 38-yard line. And it's third down and six. Uh, I don't think they're in field goal range. Uh, it's third down and seven from the 20. Are we in field goal range yet? It's fourth and one from the eight. I don't know if we're in field goal range yet. And it could make a kick. I give Manny Diaz credit. The other night, he didn't blink an eye. You would think that he was scarred from a year ago. But 57-yard field goal, he sends his kicker out there to make it. So uh, they got a guy with a good leg, no question about it. And it makes a world of difference. Florida State and Miami coming up. College game day, did that surprise you? I mean, that's a throwback, not necessarily the last few years, but as Keith pointed out earlier in our show, that's the last three decades, four decades of history in this series. Well, I'm glad college game day is here. They're going to go to Hard Rock Stadium. The last time they were in Miami, they were on campus at the University of Miami. It was before the Notre Dame game, and it was an infomercial for two hours for Miami. It was just a beautiful day, a glorious sun-dappled morning. Could not have asked for anything more. Now they're going to be at Hard Rock without any fans. Maybe they'll get, be able to get around Dayton, Broward County. Things are improving a little bit here. Uh, it's probably more of a product of the schedule, right? Because we still don't have a lot of the great games around the country, even though the SEC is starting up this weekend. It probably makes it a little bit, little bit easier on ABC also that game day in the same spot where they're going to have their broadcast crew for their key game. But it is here. I think I, hopefully both programs get, get a chance to take advantage of it. Joe, let's go bigger picture outside FSU Miami. Uh, you, you just mentioned Notre Dame, and, uh, you know, Miami has quite the history with Notre Dame. Do you have any specific thoughts about the fact they're in the league for one year and if that's if there's ever a chance that they would ultimately stay in the league or do you not want them? I mean, what's the Miami perspective on that? You know, I, I, um, I, I'm going to say that, uh, you know, I'm like a lot of other guys, right? You grew up on Sunday morning watching Notre Dame football and Lindsey Nelson, we now moved to further action. Uh, so that being said, uh, I became a, uh, a Notre Dame hater to a certain extent because of their rivalry with Miami. But I've always appreciated what they've done. And I would say this, Tom, one of my greatest memories of doing a game was uh, the 88 game Miami lost to Notre Dame. 31-30, but to me, it's still one of the greatest games ever played. We were on the wrong end of it, uh, but the emotion, the intensity, the atmosphere, the whole ball of wax that day was incredible. In terms of them being in the league for this year, I think it's a one-year-only thing. I understand why they're an independent. Hell, I kind of there are times I wish Miami and Florida State were still independents. Uh, but that being said, for this year, for what we have to do to play football this year, I think it's great. I'm glad they're in the league. 
Uh, hope they do well to a certain extent. I think they helped the league out. I think the league helped them. I think it's a win-win for both. So I'm really happy they are in the league this year. And I do think uh, that they did help us move forward to play college football this year. All right, Joe, what's the key to this game? Who does what best wins? Fill in the blank. Uh, the key to this game, I think, becomes uh, you have that big play element. And I think, you know, Miami's had a bunch of big plays in their first two games uh, on offense. I think eight different guys have plays of 30 yards or more. So they got a lot of big plays. Conversely, I think they can frustrate Florida State if they keep everything in front of them. I think Florida State might get a little impatient if they can't get that home run, home run play. So I do think for Miami, it's get the big play and don't give it up. Uh, anytime you're in the Miami-Florida State game, I think uh, one of the battleground areas is in the backfield. And for the first time in a long time, I feel like Miami's got the better ground game. I just don't see – you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, every time we played Florida State, they always had some five-star number one recruit running back – and I look at Corbin and Webb, and I don't, I don't see the same pedigree there. Now, maybe they'll go for 200 yards and prove me wrong, but I think Miami has the advantage uh, with the ground game. So I'm looking at those two things, big play opportunities, the ground game, and it's probably hard not to mention some element of special teams. We both have Australian punters. Uh, Mark Pope was a little shaky on punt returns for Miami, uh, but it's hard not to look at the kicking game. Uh, in this one, and I get get to cheat, get one more uh, quarterback play. De'Ara King has been really good, good for Miami. I think this will be his biggest game, uh, best defense that he's played against since he saw Oklahoma. Now, Oklahoma statistically doesn't always have great defense, but they've got pretty good athletes. I think this will be the most athletic defense that De'Ara King has faced. And I think there are some challenges that Florida State presents to King because of his height, then he's going to have to work around. Joe, enjoy the game. We appreciate the insight as always and uh, look forward to it. I mean, see, now I do feel more like it's FSU Miami week. We got, we got Joe Z on the line. So, I mean, it feels a little bit more like Canes and, <laughs> Canes and Knowles. We appreciate it, Joe. Anything for you two guys. I appreciate it. I root for the Knowles most of the time, except when they play Miami. Yeah, there's, an there's an asterisk in there. We know. We're, we're, we're the same, right? All right, we'll take a break, come back, and finish up front row Knowles right after this. Yeah, running down the dream. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles as we finish up. Keith, I was being sincere there with Joe. Now it feels like... FSU Miami week. We had Joe Z on. I mean, Joe's Joe, people who listen to the show who grew up in South Florida. I mean, Joe Zagaki's been around forever. I grew up in South Florida and, and Joe was involved in the broadcast with the late Sonny Hirsch back in the day for Miami. I mean, he ha, he is as, as much as Gene is FSU. Joe is Miami. Without question. And as nice a guy as Gene is and as uh, such a great man, Joe is the same. Now, it's hard to say that about a rival, but we can say that about Joe. He is a quality, quality guy through and through. 
interesting to hear his take on it and sort of get the uh, the other side's perspective on the matchup. Uh, I think he's right, though. When you look at the quarterback, and it's it's much the same here in my opinion, but Miami really hasn't had great quarterback play over the last, and it's close to two decades now since they've been at the highest level. And when you look at Florida State the last several years, and it's not a knock on Blackman because you can go before Blackman, I mean, Florida State has not been at the level you need to be at at that position to compete at the highest level. And that's part of the reason that they're 0-1 right now. Miami's got a better quarterback, best they've had in a while, and they're 2-0. I had the conversation with our colleague uh, Paul Kennedy earlier this week, and I made the following reference. I don't know if you'll agree with it, but quarterback makes the difference today. Now, that can be said for a lot of errors, but go all the way back to the wishbone. If you had a quarterback that could make good reads and could run with the ball, you could beat a lot of people doing the wishbone. Well, if you've got a quarterback now that can make quick throws accurate and effectively run the RPO, you can have some immediate success in today's game. And Blackman throws the ball well. He's not always accurate. But I'm sorry, he does not run the RPO well at all. And he's not a huge threat to run the ball. And that's what Florida State is missing, given the way offenses are right now. So you can take an average team with a quarterback like King or a quarterback like Sims, and you can elevate quickly if that quarterback can do both of those skill sets. Yeah, no question about it. Hey, I want to shift gears and, and not to, to finish on a down note, but uh, uh, there was news about a former Seminole coach uh, who, that, that you played for who passed away this week. I want to see if you wanted to share some stories there. Yeah, a, a, a sad uh, part in that uh, Jack Stanton, our, uh, Bobby Bowden's first defensive coordinator at Florida State, and, and my coordinator and segment coach passed away last week at the age of 82. He had uh, been suffering from uh, some uh, health issues and uh, memory issues for quite a while and uh, still a very sad, sad time. Um, I've had opportunity to talk to several of my teammates. Jerry Kutz had a great, great article. Uh, in the Osceola this week. Another reason for you to subscribe to the Osceola to, to get that kind of insight. Uh, I was texting with Jerry this morning and, and telling him how, how nice a job he did. Jack was, Jack was a throwback. He was an old school guy. Um, I didn't like him when I played for him because I was young and I didn't appreciate all that Jack was teaching me and all that Jack was uh, showing me. In fact, uh, I talked to Monk Bonasort's widow, Beverly, uh, earlier this week uh, about Jack, and I actually quit my sophomore year. I was gone. I'd had enough of it. And Monk talked me out of it. And Monk taught me something or or illustrated something to me that has stuck with me all my life. He said, Keith, Jack Jack is old school and hard-nosed, and you can't listen to how Jack is talking to you. You have to listen to what Jack is saying to you. Don't, don't read anything into the tone, the inflection, but listen to the content. Listen to the meat. And as soon as I got past that, and I had this conversation with Bobby Butler because Bobby played for him uh, four years at Florida State and two years in Atlanta. Once you got past the, the delivery and you understood his heart and you understood that he loved you, and that he wanted only the best for you, and that he was pushing you to be the best, then you truly learn to appreciate Jack Stanton. 
because he was such a innovative, uh, hardworking, a uh, man of integrity. He and his wife, Ruthie, great family. Um, once I got past the, he hurt my feelings because he talked to me bad. You know, daddy, tell him not to talk. He has to talk to me nice, Tommy. Talk to me nice. Once I got past that, I tr truly learned to appreciate the genius that Jack Stanton is. He left FSU, went with the Falcons, spent time with the Raiders, uh, retired, came back to Tallahassee, literally lived on the same street, lives on the same street as Coach Bowden out in Kalarna States. Just Bowden's on one end and he's on the other. And just a, a great, great man that'll be missed, very much missed. That's well said. And there's some lessons uh, that you just shared you could apply to uh, reading email because people read tone or inject tone into email when they're reading it that's not there. And if you just focus on the message, you can get to the finish line a lot more quickly. I was, t I was emailing with Coach Bowden last week, and he doesn't do this all the time, but one of his responses to me, he hit the caps lock. All the words were capitalized. All the letters were capitalized. I told Kathleen, I said, Coach is yelling at me again. He's yelling at me again. <laughs> nope, he just couldn't find the caps lock button, right? Exactly, or he didn't know it was on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, as we finish up, Keith, this is going to be odd for me. Uh, so the Florida State radio crew, and this is happening across the country, but for folks who don't know, the radio crew is not traveling to road games this year for FSU. So we will be calling the game from TV monitors here at FSU. And what that means is this will be dating back to 1988. This will be the fourth FSU Miami game I've not attended in person. So 94, 98, 08, and this year, those are the, this will be the fourth that I've missed since 1988. So it'll be a little bit strange to actually watch this thing on TV. Well, I remember, and uh, Deckerhoff and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, because he's having to do the same thing. Gene is having to do the same things for the Bucks. So their opening game was in New Orleans. So he had to drive down to Raymond James and do the game from the control booth in Raymond James. You heard Zaki talking about he called the Louisville game from uh, Hard Rock. Uh, and we were, we were just reminiscing uh, the late, great Red Barber used to do games off of a literally a ticker tape. So, you know, whoever, you know, pitch was a strike. He called a strike. He toes the He couldn't see anything because he wasn't anywhere near the game. He was calling it from a ticker tape or from what we would call, you know, something print out, printed out. It didn't even have video. Uh, so we're kind of going back to our roots a little bit. You guys will be challenged to uh, make it happen. The one thing I'll be watching is how quickly and how effectively you get in and out of commercials because, as Joe talked about, you can't see the red hat, so you don't know what's going on until the network goes to it. So good luck with that. It'll be a little bit of ventures in broadcasting, but it is what it is. It's 2020. Keith, we'll do this again next week. Good good show. Good catching up. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. Sarcasm in the classroom.